Hi friends, it's Lane. I hope you are ready for a jam-packed episode. This episode is special. It's from Nichelle Sublet. And if you are anyone who is having issues with fertility or you've had infertility issues, really chime in and listen to this episode. It's a really good one. If you haven't signed up for the next Calm Circle, I want to encourage you to do so over at recoverlikeamother.com forward slash reset. Okay, let's get into the show. I'm Nichelle Sublet, and you're listening to the Recover Like a Mother podcast. Welcome back. It's Lane, another episode, and we are going to go deep today. Thank you again for joining me and for joining another mother on her journey. So today I have a special guest, Nichelle Sublet. And what I love about this is that I get a lot of guests from other guests And that's exactly how I found Nichelle. And she is an infertility or fertility advocate. And she's Mrs. North Carolina. Is that right? That's like, like, I love this idea of being Mrs. something. And at first, I just want to say welcome to the show. Thank you. And Mrs. North Carolina 2018, actually. So a former. Oh my gosh. But that was like just recent. Like... This is really amazing. A, I didn't even know that there was Mrs. Right. So I'm like, what? That's exciting to hear about. How did you get into that? Actually, through a really good friend of mine who was Mrs. Georgia in 2014. And she kept telling me that I should apply and maybe do a pageant. I'd never done pageants before. So this was brand new to me. Well, you're stunning. Thank you. I'm like, not surprised. Thank you. That's- but I don't know what they judge you. What do they judge you on in that kind of pageant? Is it just like when I was growing up, I used to watch pageants and it was like in the swimsuit and in the gowns. and. Yeah. So you have, you do still have swimsuit and evening gown, but you also have an interview portion and then on stage questions. Fascinating. Was it hard? I thought it was pretty hard actually, because I hadn't done it before. I have a few friends who have done pageants their entire lives. So the nice thing was I got a pageant coach and I was able to get a lot of direction from him and from friends, but yeah, it's a little challenging because it's very competitive and I was very nervous. So fascinating. Thank you. Well, Michelle, I'm glad you're here and so happy to get to know you and unwind your story. And your story is about advocacy for fertility. And let's just back up to your journey a little bit and share with our moms out there who may be struggling with this issue in their own recovery. Like, what was it like for you? How did you discover this situation? Sure. Yeah. So I got married to my husband, Harold in 2013, and I always knew that I wanted to be a mom. There was never any question or doubt in that at all. So we started the whole trying, not trying process, which (laughs) I got off the pill basically is what that means. And after about six months, we still hadn't conceived. So, and we were very young. So I was thinking, you know, what's going on? I went in to see my OBGYN and got diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome or PCOS. So it affects about 10% of women. That's pretty common. I feel like I hear a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And did your heart just sink? 
Yes. I burst into tears. I was, I mean, I knew that there must be something going on, but I just didn't really expect to get a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I think anytime you get a diagnosis, that's just nerve wracking and you don't know what's to come. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you found that out and then did you feel helpless, hopeless? Like, no, the thing was, well, after I had time to digest the news, my OB was telling me, we should be able to get you pregnant fairly quickly and fairly easily with a drug, you know, a drug that's going to make you ovulate because I wasn't ovulating. And it was a simple pill that I had to take. And then they would tell you when to have sex. <laughs> and then you would see if you, you know, ovulated and got pregnant. I mean, there was blood work and everything involved to, to see where you were. So it's, it's a very scripted process. <laughs> Yes. It's a little scripted. (laughs) Don't miss those days of going in for that blood work. And what was your husband thinking? He was kind of along for the ride. Like he wasn't as pressed at the time as I was about becoming a parent right away. He thought, well, that's fine. You know, if we take a few years to just be husband and wife and when it happens, it happens. Like he never had any doubt that it would happen. Like I was the one that was always worried and scared and just didn't know what to do with myself. Yeah. yeah. This is, I hear this in recovery a lot where Mm -hmm. uh, a woman will get sober and then she's going down the path. She finds the human that she's going to be with, and then she can't get pregnant. And there's like devastation, right. On so many levels. And so what, you know, I know it took you a while. What, what was your process in those years, I guess? Yeah. Well, So that was just the tip of the iceberg for us learning about this diagnosis. We then ended up taking six years of an infertility journey. So we did different medications. We tried different medications, different fertility treatments, lots of testing. I had four IUIs. Two, actually, it ended up being three IVF transfers, two egg retrievals. In the process, we also had two spontaneous pregnancies or naturally occurring pregnancies. And I also had five heartbreaking miscarriages throughout all of this. So it was really like a six year roller coaster of just up and down, up and down. Okay. And where's your heart in all of this? Broken? Completely broken. I can remember telling my husband, I have never experienced something that hurt me to this degree. Like this hurts me so much more than anything ever not being able to, well, at first it was not being able to get pregnant. Then it was not being able to stay pregnant, Mm -hmm. which of course is gut wrenching. You feel like, well, once I get pregnant, I'll be fine because it took so much to get pregnant. You're thinking, well, then I'm not going to have a problem actually carrying the pregnancy. So it was just... Emotionally, a roller coaster, to say the least. Yes. And so, how did you get through that? Yeah. So, lots of different ways. I joined two support groups. So, Resolve has an amazing support group, and that's national. And then, Fertility for Colored Girls is also a national support group for people going through infertility. And that was really pivotal in helping me to unpack my feelings and being around people who are going through the same thing. It was all women in both groups, which was awesome. 
I also had a therapist. So I sought out, you know, regular therapy sessions with her. And then I ended up switching to someone who actually specialized in women going through infertility. And I also journaled and I was doing acupuncture. So yoga, meditation, lots of prayer. My husband and I are very um, faith-based people. So prayer, praying with different pastors, having people lay hands on my belly and just, you know, everything. We did everything really to try and get through it emotionally because it was definitely the hardest point in my life. Right. And when you talk about your faith, I want to get into that real quick, because I think there's something about believing and what, when you have somebody's hands on your belly, what are you thinking at that moment? I mean, just, I just got chills thinking about it because we were on a beach one time and we were at, it was a weekend basically for married couples. And it was a faith-based weekend for married couples, but Anyway, um, I just felt like this peace over me and I was crying and just hoping and wishing that this faith that this person had, that I was going to have a baby could be now imparted in me, like that I could have that same level of faith because I think my faith really waned throughout the the time period. I mean, it's six years and you, if you keep getting pregnant and you keep than not being able to stay pregnant for various reasons, then you start to lose hope sometimes. I mean, it's really hard to get in your head that, okay, the next time it's going to work. If all these other times it never worked, it's, it's very difficult to be- really truly believe that in your soul. And so what finally brought you to believing yourself? Like you just said, you were trying to put, you're instilling their belief into you. Mm-hmm. So I know that when, when we're in recovery, when, when we're getting sober, we have to believe in something else to transform our recovery, to transform our lives, to relieve us from the obsession of alcoholism, to relieve the mental chaos that happens. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of faith when it comes to getting sober and living in recovery. So I feel like there's some kind of connection here with fertility as well. Like there's got to be something. Yeah. So what what happened? There was, there was some kind of transformation that had to occur. Yeah, I think so. When I became Mrs. North Carolina and won that pageant, when I was on stage, I just felt this like rush come over me that you have to tell your story now, you know, that's going to be your platform because I had kind of thought that it would be my platform, but I was really afraid. I was so nervous to talk about it, anxious. I didn't want anybody to know that there was something in my mind defective with me. That's how I felt at the time. It was almost embarrassing to let people know that this isn't some perfect marriage. So for me, like when I felt that, I knew I had to to speak about my story. And over that year, I made infertility awareness my platform. I started the hashtag start asking campaign to really encourage women to get checks earlier, fertility assessments from their doctors and to find out about their bodies. Cause I think you can make choices when you know, when you have the education. And I wish that I had actually frozen my eggs like early in my life, but that's a whole nother topic. So for me, that year was super transformational because it's, there's something very therapeutic about just telling your truth and 
not being afraid and just putting it all out there. And that's really what I did that year. I spoke to different groups of women. I went to schools, um, the junior league, all types of environments where I could, could tell my story. And I think throughout that year, just receiving like all the prayers, encouragement, messages, DMs, whatnot, it really helped me change my attitude about it. Was that the thing that got you pregnant? You think? I've wondered that because it was literally right after I crowned my successor and we decided to do that one last transfer. This was going to be the last embryo transfer that I was going to try before moving on to surrogacy because we did have five frozen embryos left at that point and we just wanted to give them the best chance at life. And so I wonder, you know, I do think that something happened in that year. And also that year we took a break. We were actively preventing pregnancy that entire year. And so maybe like stepping away from it and focusing on other things and just allowing myself to live without constantly having that over my head, maybe that, you know, did something. Oh, you know, what's interesting is that what I'm hearing is that you stepped into service. Yes. And so as we recover, uh, a huge part of recovery from alcoholism and addiction is, you know, believing in something and then stepping mm-hmm. into service yes. and then life totally transforms. I love that. And that's exactly what I'm hearing. That's why I feel like there's so much similarity in, in the journey here Oh yeah, and the recovery process. So suddenly like you find out that you're pregnant, like what even, what occurred? Like what inspired you to be like, okay, this is it. I think part of me, they always say, you know, give people three chances, three strikes and you're out. And I felt like we had tried the two embryo transfers that were not successful. So at least give it that last try, like at least try it three times before moving on to a new plan. And I think going into it, I just felt more calm and more peaceful because I knew we also had a backup plan. Like if this doesn't work for me, you know what, we can try it again with a gestational carrier and hopefully that will bring our baby. So I think part of it was like the way I went into the situation. Your headspace was changed. It sounds like it. Like totally. And so now your baby, your little one is how old is he? He's 19 months now. That's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. How is it being a mom? Oh, wow. It's, you know, (laughs) it's challenging. I was just writing about this today and thinking about what motherhood meant to me. And it's just, you know, it's giving 100% of yourself every day to this human being that you just want to shape and guide and be the best role model for. And it's, you know, it's love, it's, it's selfless love, it's sacrifice. It's everything. It's beautiful. It's such a gift. I, I feel that it's a privilege to be his mother. It is such a privilege. So I have my 11 year old who I talk about frequently on the show mm-hmm. and, you know, every day it's a new a new challenge, (laughs) a new new obstacle. And this morning, you know, he got into the car and he made a new joke. And I just, sometimes I'm like, I, sometimes I just, I'm like, please be quiet. He talks so much, right? He's a chatterbug. Okay. And then other times I'm like, 
Yes. Keep talking. This is such an honor to sit here with you. You chose me to be your mother, right? Like, yes, it's just, I know it goes from like one extreme to the other. Like you Mm -hmm. said, sometimes I want quiet and it's very hard to get these days. (laughs) Yeah. 19 months. So do you have sanity breaks? Yeah. You know, we try to, so my husband and I are really good about trying to make time for each other. First of all, with date nights and things like that, but then also getting together with friends, whether I go out with my girlfriends or he goes out with the guys, we haven't gotten to do that much of that with the pandemic, to be honest, (laughs) but we do try to build that in just sometimes you need a break. Sometimes you need a break. So now we're in this pandemic and it's been over a year what are things that are lighting you up? It's really hard these days. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But what are you digging into? And it's like, this is what's firing you up. Yeah. That's a great question. I think still really serving in this community, this is still just a passion. It's a passion for me. I want to, whether, you know, no matter how many children I have, because we're actually getting ready to try IVF again, (laughs) do another transfer. Um, I still don't want to get away from this community. And when I was going through infertility, the first couple of years, I thought, oh, when I finally have a baby, I will never look back. I'm never going to speak of this again. I'm not going to talk about it. And then something changed and it was, and then I knew, okay, I'm going to share my story. Then I knew, okay, I'm going to share my story now, like before I even have a baby. And then I got to the point where I knew I would never stop talking about this And that's where I am now of just still doing the work and the advocacy and connecting with my fellow infertility warriors. So this community is, there is such strength. And I know, again, I go back to like in recovery, Mm -hmm. how we're hit with alcoholism and then we're hit with not being able to have a child and this, the strength of perseverance is incredible. The resilience. Wow. The warriors. Absolutely. Like, I love the way that you just said true warriors. What is your favorite conversation that you have? You know, you mean now, like when I talk to women now, really the ones that are just, you know, so I think my favorite ones, to be honest, are when women reach out to me and they say, I'm thinking about freezing my eggs, or I'm thinking about reaching out to a fertility specialist. I get really excited and energized about that because that really is taking the first step. And that woman is now, if it's freezing her eggs or even just getting a fertility assessment, she is now trying to control the parts of her fertility journey that she can control because there is so much that's out of our control. And I just, I love the proactiveness of that. So I love talking to women who want to take that step. I mean, I think that's, that's amazing. And that's really what I've been trying to to tell women is take the step before you're even ready to start having kids, like do it in advance. That is such a great message right there. It's, it's that Mm self-awareness that because we live in the society, everything is just go, 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 go. Right. Yes. We're, not, we're not paying attention. And, and that's one thing that I really, I advocate. It's like, slow down, pay attention, right? Like I'm a calm coach. So let's, let's slow the process down and really think about what we want in five years, mm-hmm. what we want to be doing. How many, how many kids do we want to 
have. Like, right. and so this idea of freezing your eggs is just like, who thinks of that? I know, <laughs> but seriously, that is like, that's where the conversation needs to start. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and that should be taught. Like, like we're not even, we're not thinking about that. All we're thinking about is like, put somebody on birth control so they can't have kids forever. Exactly. Which changes the entire female body. Mm -hmm. Have you ever talked about that? Yeah. Because everyone just assumes that as soon as you get off the pill, you're going to get pregnant right away. And we all know those stories where somebody missed a pill or two and got pregnant. So I think when you're inundated as a culture with don't get pregnant, you know, stay on the pill, use protection. You don't think about the other side of that. And so many girls go on the pill so young. Yes. Uh, because of all the female, the hormonal imbalances, you know, when they're 14, 15 years old, and then they have a life of hormone chaos. And then they come off the pill trying to get pregnant and then they can't, I hear the story all the time. Yes. It is so devastating. Yeah. So common. And so, yes. So if you're thinking about like, this should be a part of our conversation. Right. And I would, I would love to see it become just like how you go in and you get your blood pressure checks or your blood sugar checks and different things like that, that are just routine maintenance for health. I would love to see attention put on this for women who are of childbearing years or, you know, because it's, it should be part of your health maintenance check. Yeah. How do we start that conversation? That's a great question. I think it probably starts with the medical community in a way of bringing this to the forefront and starting to talk with each patient about it. It's like individual conversation by conversation. Yeah. I, I, I when I think about alcoholism and addiction, mm-hmm. I think, you know, right now we go into the schools and we show scary, scary photos. Yeah. <laughs> this is what happens when you drink instead of introducing just a clean lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That's and never been introduced. You're right. I mean, right. I remember in school, you would watch the scary videos and everybody's heart is beating fast. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's like, why don't we normalize it? Why don't we just normalize? Like this is an option when you're 18 years old to start having this conversation about, you know, you possibly might, might want to freeze your eggs. So if it's, if taught at the, you know, the high school or college, then it's like a normal conversation. Instead of when she's, you know, 27, 28 or whenever she wants to have kids and then can't because her body is so messed up. It's like, right. So devastating. Exactly. It's like this giant slap in the face that you don't see coming that, and and you sit there and you say, well, why didn't anybody warn me that something was wrong with me? I mean, that's what I used to say to myself, you know, nobody has nothing to do with you. Like you, but we think it's us. Exactly. And that is like, that's trauma on the body right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so heavy. Yeah. Do you have a, a process? Have you kept a journal? I have. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> one of the greatest things when I had my son is I was religious about everything that he did. Yes. Me too. Crazy. Have you continued to do that? have not as, not as much as I did Mm -hmm. when he was like in his first year of life, but I have continued to journal about him. And because that kind of transformed, you know, journaling about infertility and then the pregnancy. And then now that he's here in his first year. So yeah, I'm still taking notes. (laughs) And are you journaling about yourself in your own process? Like you personally? A little bit. 
I will say it's more toward him, which I should probably include myself a little bit more in that. I want to encourage you to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting to look back at my own insightful ahas, mm-hmm. right. Of my personal change. It it's just a practice, right? Yeah. Just a practice to kind of like look at my evolution. I love that. Yeah. Might be useful to yeah. look at okay. it someday. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself in the last six months? I would say that I'm more adaptable than I thought I was, <laughs> uh, which probably a lot of people will say that now going through COVID, but yeah. going through COVID with a young child it has its challenges. And I think it just, it shows the, like I said, how adaptable and how malleable I can be and how I can get used to new situations rather quickly. So I think that's been nice to see. And so for our mamas who are listening, how let's give her a really practical tip or uh, some insight to how that, how she could use one of your tools, tips and how you're being adaptable? I would say, as far as adaptability, you know, it looks different every day, but I try to, well, part of it is talking to myself, you know, and I will say that's a big tip of mine is to remind yourself once, twice, a few times a day that you are doing the best you can do with what you've been given and your strengths and talents that are specific to you and just trying not to compare because I know I'm guilty of that, you know, trying to compare myself. Oh, well, this, this mother has six kids and is making it look super easy and they still go on date nights once a week. And, you know, just trying to get out of my own head with that comparison and realize that this is your path and the life that was specifically meant for you. And there's a reason why you're his mother and you're married to this person and in this city, all of that, like trying to talk to myself daily about that. That is such a great tip because that sometimes that self-talk can go negative real quick when you have a little one screaming or a tween. (laughs) Or a teenager. Yeah. So that kind of more loving, like you've got this, the cheerleader. That's what I'm hearing you say. Yes. Yeah. Kind of being your own cheerleader, being the cheerleader. I love that tip. That's a really great one. And not comparing there's that comparing syndrome. Woo. Yeah. And I know in recovery, it's really easy to compare others recovery. Mm -hmm. Well, she's doing that already. Oh, and they got that already. How come I didn't do that? And it's like, you know what? My, I have to come back to like my journey Mm -hmm. is mine. Do you find that with where you're at as well? I do, because I think, especially in the infertility world as well, there is a lot of comparison. Oh, well, she only had to do this many rounds. Oh, well, she got pregnant just off Clomid and they didn't even, oh, she got pregnant after they did IVF naturally, you know, cause everybody will tell you this happened to their friend or their aunt's sister's cousin, you know, you get all these anecdotes. And so it is very easy to then say, well, why me? You know, why wasn't my journey as easy as this person's? But then, like you said, stepping back and realizing for whatever reason, this is the path that you're meant to walk on. And you just have to kind of cut everything out, everything else out, cut out the noise. 
That is it. It's like everything else has to go. I just have to focus on my little path. My <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. It's so hard yeah. sometimes. So here you are a couple of years, no, let's say 19 months into mm-hmm. your little one. And do you have a, a routine, a nightly routine? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you share that with our mamas, our listeners? Sure. So every night, because one tip that people gave me was try to get on a schedule. That'll save your life. That'll save everybody's sanity. So every night around, I think it's around 730, (laughs) we take them up. My husband and I actually switch off. So one night I'll put him to bed and then the next night he does. And the routine is we come up, we take a bath or we give him a bath, get him out, do his lotion, a little massage, get his pajamas on walk to his room and we read a book. He gets to pick out two stories every night. And then I turn out the lights, turn on the white noise. I sit down, put him in my lap, and then I rock him while we say our prayers. And then I tell him, you know, it's night, night time. And he's like, night, night. Oh, and he loves to say amen at the end of the prayer. He always says, amen. (laughs) Hilarious. That's awesome. And then I put him in bed and I just, I give him his little He has Scout, which is a toy that kind of, it's a teddy bear that kind of talks and plays music. I play that 15 minutes of music. It's nighttime music. Like I said, he already has on his white noise. Lights are already out during the prayers. And then I close the door and that's it. (laughs) And normally, normally we don't hear another peep. Now, occasionally he will cry a little bit for like less than a minute. This kind of, I don't know, it's a protest cry or something like, did you really just put me in the bed? And then what do you do to take care of yourself after that? So after that, I will either like, maybe we'll watch a show together or something like that. Honestly, lately I've been having to do a lot of studying for a new position that I have. So Uh it's not really taking care of myself, but I, I do some studying at night sometimes and yeah, just try to unplug, like get off of get off the phone, get off social media. I don't want to text anybody right now. I just want to like, it's so interesting. You say that, Michelle, Mm -hmm. you're the, like the third person that I've talked to who has said, I just don't want to text anybody. I don't want to be on social media. I, I, I want to just disconnect. Yes. Right. It's so interesting to me that we are all sequestered, right. In our little bubbles. And we're just like, no, too much. It is. It's so much stimulation all the time. Somebody's always pinging. The thing is always, the phone is always going off. I turn off my ringer a lot because I don't even want to hear the texts coming through. Right. It's like too much. I think the texts are like over the top. The DMs are over the top right now. Bye. I'm shutting you off. If I don't respond, "Mm, (laughs) I'll get back to you. I promise. You can get back to you. Yeah. And that's, you know what? That's a new part of self-care. I feel Mm -hmm. like is turning off electronics and just being present because I'm really working on being present. Yeah. Did you hear that mama? Be present. You know how much I talk about that? Be present. (laughs) Oh, Nichelle, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and everything that you are bringing to women who are looking to for hope and inspiration around fertility you've had a magical experience and I love just spending time with you. Where can other listeners reach out, say hi, follow your story and journey? Sure. They can reach out on my Instagram at Nichelle W. Sublet 
or I'm on Facebook as well under Nichelle Wynn Sublet. And my email address is connected to my Instagram. So you'll be able to find me like that. And I also have a website, nichellesublet.com. So yeah, there's a few ways. And I want to thank you so much for what you're doing, first of all, and for continuing to tell your story and help other women who are in recovery and for having me on today. It was definitely a pleasure and a privilege to get to speak with you. Oh, delighted. Ladies, please look at what she's doing in the world, right? One woman with one voice meets another with another voice. And we just continue that chain. We together rise up. We together stay stronger. We together recover. I want to thank you for spending the time with me today. May you find something bright, something light, and something so delicious that fills you up so you can be the best mother you can be. Take good care. Until next time. Thanks for listening. I just wanted to chime in and say I am pretty confident that you may know somebody who has infertility issues or challenges. If you do, please share this episode. A lot of women don't talk about this issue and we need to, we need to, we need to. So I hope you'll share this episode. Make sure that you rate and review the show over at iTunes. I'd love a five-star review. And I can't wait to meet you and see you in the next Calm Circle. All right, friend, take good care. Enjoy the day.